The Super Bowl is done and the offseason is officially here. We're going to talk about that and more on this edition of the bullpen. Hello and welcome to this edition of the bullpen. I am James Roy. As always, with me is Tom Chavria. Tom, how are you doing this Super Bowl Wednesday after this Valentine's Day, if you will? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad Super Bowl's over. That was that was not what I wanted to watch, but I watched it. Uh, I, I was hoping for better commercials. Uh, I'm I'm just ready for this offseason to get started. The free agency can't go fast enough. Uh, I, baseball's coming. I'm, I'm there too, but I'm, I'm I'm excited for the Texans team right now. 100%. I'm, I'm surprised you said the commercials weren't good. I think there were some duds, but overall, I'd say in recent, like in my recent memory, this was one of the better Super Bowls for commercials. I felt like there was a few that jumped off the page to me. But For me, it's the fact that I now know that each one of those was $7 million. I have this bias going, it has to hit because it's $7 million. So It does. It does. No. Um, I mean, for me, what what it is is that all week leading up to the Super Bowl, all these companies are like previewing or like releasing the ad straight up on social media. So I, I was surprised at how many there were that I had not seen prior to the Super Bowl that I thought were actually pretty good. Speaking of Super Bowl ads, let's just launch into it. So how the Super Bowl pertains to the Texans? That's the big question we're answering here today. And the first thing is, is that there was three ads by the company Timu in the Super Bowl, and that's a company that I would not suspect had enough money to run three Super Bowl ads, and they were they were the Timu equivalent of Super Bowl ads. They were they were not stellar, but guess who who the star athlete is that is the face of Timu right now? And that would be C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud is at him and uh, and CMC are both Timu athletes, which I thought was man. I don't know. I don't I don't want to talk it down as a bad movie. I mean, get your money, but like. In my opinion, there there's a point where you look at a company and you go, I don't know if I want my name associated with that. But I don't know. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? I, you know, I'm blown away by Timu in general because, like my my sister, my brother in law, they they shop on there, and and I was sitting there talking to him like, is this is this stuff good? Because you you hear the noise, right? The chatter about Timu, how horrible the product is, how incredibly cheap it is, how. It, no one knows where it comes from. It's just this whole weird thing. And then they've got these amazing athletes. They got three Super Bowl commercials. I'm like, where are they making this money? I don't even. I don't understand it. They're either um, they're either making bank or going out of business. That's all I know. There's there's no way after the Super Bowl that they that that they're not making money. That's for sure. But yeah, you were talking. You and I were talking to it before the show. Staying in in line with CJ Stroud. We'll go to like the the pregame pre-Super Bowl week in Vegas. All the stars are out. You're, you, you turn on every news channel. Any, any, anyone who's anyone is covering what's going on in Vegas. And there's uh, CJ Stroud all over the place in Vegas. What do you make of his presence in Vegas? And what does it mean to the Texans' off-season aspirations? I mean, if, it really, if you take it all the way back to the Pro Bowl, these last two weeks have been a full-on, high-profile ad campaign for the Houston Texans the CJ Stroud when you think about all the athletes that he surrounded himself with all the great talent 
and people just gushing about him from greats like, you know, Peyton Manning uh, when he was in the Pro Bowl. And I mean, now you see him on the Pat McAfee show and they're chopping it up. There, there's so many different uh, outlets where he was just there. And I just feel like it, it's awesome for him because it's the recognition that he deserves. And it's it's great if you're a Texan fan because now you've got you've got other organizations getting, you know, or not organization, but I mean like free agents, stuff like that getting a chance to see him and 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 go what if you know ponder the question what if i played for the Houston Texans and for me that's so exciting because there are some marquee free agent names out there that i would like to see in a texan uniform and it it this team's not that far away and i think a lot of people are realizing that so all the cj stroud you know uh, i guess hype i'm here for it. No, yeah, 100%. I mean, there was a clip where he walked up behind Chad Ochocinco. I guess he's changed his name back to Chad Johnson since I'll still call him Chad Ochocinco. Um, <laughs> he walked up behind Chad Ochocinco and, like, Chad looked and saw him and, like, lit up, was like, oh, my God, it's CJ Stroud. He's right here, right next to me. Like, the amount of respect that he has already at so early in his career from the greats and, and people looking at his situation in Houston and going, you know, D'Amico's the head coach. You know, CJ's playing quarterback, the culture there, everything about Houston, it screams like I would like to play there is is great because and we've talked about it before, looking at what the Rockets had to do this past offseason in free agency and they had to play pay like the poverty tax to like get players to come in that maybe weren't even like I don't know, Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks for all intents and purposes were good for the Rockets, but they weren't like all star players and they had to play like a lot of money to get them to go there. And we're already seeing, there's already reports that Dalton Schultz is really interested in coming back um, and playing for the Texans and that there's there's high odds that he could, you know, be, that there's mutual interest and that there's an understanding of what that looks like. So it, it's, it's nice to see a team that for three or four years was literally just a place that was a wasteland that no one wanted to go get to a point where now they, they don't pay the poverty tax anymore. They pay the, hey, we're going to get a Super Bowl. You can hop in if you want, but here's what we're going to pay you. Is how it's looking, and that—that's a good place to be, especially with as much cap space as the Texans have, and and that brings in. So you're talking about C.J. Stroud making the rounds. Did you see Pat McAfee on? Or sorry, did you see Nick Casario on the Pat McAfee show? I heard about it. I didn't get to see the whole interview. I saw a snippet from it, but uh, I'm pretty excited about that too. I I've always said that Nick Casario is the kind of guy who can say a lot of words and really not communicate anything <laughs> in the grander scheme. But I think he's gotten to that point where he's he's realized that the moves he made that he knew were good moves, like they're panning out now and, and the greater public is being led into the fold. And so when he's on the Pat McAfee show, he's like, he's cool, calm, cool and collective. He's the coolest guy ever. I mean, he's just like, yeah, you know, he's cracking jokes, just going back and forth with Pat. And it was nice to see Nick kind of come out of his shell. I think I, seeing him at ease like that going into a Super Bowl, Leads me to believe two things. One, he's looking at that Lombardi trophy and he's saying, soon, soon. We're not far away from it. And two, he his plan for the offseason does not have him concerned. The Between cap space and what he knows he intends to do with that roster this offseason, he is not fretting what's going on with the Texans this offseason. And that is great to know. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like I said, when you, when you combine that with what CJ's doing, you talked about Dalton Schultz. I don't know. I, I, I know we talked about it, but I don't know if the rest of the listeners got a chance to listen to the Pivot podcast that uh, CJ did 
And I felt after listening to that, that Dalton was going to be a Texan, just how glowingly the, the relationship the two had. I, I mean, it doesn't strike me you as shot odd. Me a text. When you listen to it, you, I, I got a text that said, hey, have you, have you seen this? CJ, I think Dalton's staying. I think he's yeah. staying. That was before Dalton came outside. I'd love to stay here. Like, CJ was just out front, like, this is this is my boy. He came down to LA. We threw together. We really developed a relationship. So he's still very young in the prime. I think that would be a great pickup. I know people worried about his blocking a little bit, but I'm sure you can scheme for that. There's been plenty of tight ends that weren't great blockers that were still great tight ends. So, or or it can be coached up. Who knows? But I'm excited about that. I think we're making a lot of the drops. I mean, I think that they're a problem. And I think that the problem with the drops that Dalton Schultz had late in the season is that when you make those kind of mistakes in big moments, all of a sudden, you know, no one was talking about his ability to block before that. But once you, you have those drops and there's reason to question if you are really as good as you say you are, all of a sudden we're looking at Jim, we're like, I don't know. I mean, he's good as a receiver, but is he good enough to overcome this, that, or the other? And so that's what the Texans fan base is going through as a whole is questioning that. And there's some people who are steadfast in their desire to keep him on. And there's some people who have, have gotten to the point where they're like, eh, I don't know if we really need Dalton Schultz. And I'll tell you this, looking at everyone talking about, you know, the free agent class. Um, if you have the belief that maybe like a Noah fan or a Hunter Henry can replace his production, that's one thing. Um, the draft is really like two or three tight ends at most. Um, there's some guys that are nice. I, I would love to see him picked up in like the fourth or fifth round as depth pieces. But as far as starting level tight ends, if Schultz is willing to take close to what he did last year, like I'd say two years, 20 mil or three years, 30 mil. Fine. I'm give it to him, get, get him back in the building. So I'm a hundred percent, you know, okay. I, at points during this past season, I said, resign Dalton Schultz at all costs. I've tempered that. I've tempered that a little bit. I'm not quite on that that train right now, but I'd love to see him back. And I think that CJ's opinion of him speaks volumes as to why he needs to be back in the building. So at the right price, at the right price. Um, but going through the weekly ups, so CJ and Nick and, and the whole Texans organization out there just recruiting, trying to get people to come over and, and play for the Texans. And then we, we get into the game. And you, you told me before we started that this was like just not your favorite Super Bowl. I mean, any Super Bowl the Texans don't play in is, is not my favorite, but I, I do find a way to, to find one that I like since the Texans have never played in a Super Bowl. Um, but, but this one in particular, especially with the result, we, we look at this 49ers team, which the Texans draw heavy influence from. I think the Texans have very much jumped from like the Patriot way influence to like, you know, the Niner way, if you will. I don't know who all's keyed in on that. But looking at that, a lot of people saw what happened on the field and they said the 49ers were one quarterback away or it was bad coaching or whatever. What is your biggest takeaway from why the 49ers couldn't close that game out? It's a combination of things. And that, that's what like just really made that game horrible for me. It's because for me, I feel like the Niners were the better team. I get it. Kansas City probably had the better player, but I felt the Niners were the better team. And just the way the game played out, you started seeing guys get nicked up. You know, they lose Greenlaw in the beginning, who was just a monster piece for them on the defensive end, on a freak play. You know, blows his Achilles most likely. And it's just unbelievable, right? And then you see Debo Samuel come come up lame. And then you see Kittle come up lame. And you're just like, oh, here we go. And 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 I don't want to lean into the basketball thing too much, but when Golden State was on their run, when Golden State was, you know, beating everybody, 
every time in the playoffs, they ran into that one team that just was missing something or lost a player. The Rockets were going to beat them if, if Chris Paul does not blow out his hamstring. And no one can tell me different. Not anyone on that team. No one. That, that, the Rockets had him nailed that year. That, that is were... the objectively correct opinion, Tom. Don't worry. <laughs> you won't get any argument from me on that. So I just feel like this is what happened again. Like that team was going to win that game, all things considered. And everything just went the way Kansas City. And it was just like the further it went, the closer it stayed, the more they were allowed to hang around, the more things just kind of, you know, were up in the balance. You just knew that the best player would make plays to win the game. And credit to Patrick Mahomes. He did a great job when he needed to. I, I, I don't know why it took four quarters to look the way he did in overtime at the end of that game where they were just marching up and down the field because I feel like he couldn't do that for three quarters. The third quarter, they, they, they jumped out and did some things. But first half, three points, Kansas City, no way. So it was just tough. I mean, the 49ers never put them away. And so there's a few things that correlate in my mind to the Texans. And when you look at them, you, you, you can't help but see like some form of irony or some form of like, I don't want to say reason to be concerned, but if you step down the line, you look at the people saying that the 49ers were an elite quarterback away from winning that game. If they have a better quarterback, then he doesn't miss those two passes. It makes touchdowns. I, I don't know if I'm necessarily for or against that, but what I would say is, is that as a Texans fan, I'm not concerned about that because the Texans have an elite quarterback. So if that was the problem, like the Texans as a team that heavily draws influence from the 49ers are not necessarily susceptible to that as far as we know, right? CJ hasn't given us any reason to believe that that's the case. So I, I'm not super concerned from that perspective. You look at the the offense that the 49ers run, they came out the gate with the run game on some unfortunate fumbles um, from Christian McCaffrey, but we've been talking all Texans offseason long, right? We're in the NFL offseason now, but all Texans offseason, you and I have been talking about how Saquon Barkley would be the CMC pickup for this Texans offense that could supercharge it and get it going. And watching them get, you know, CMC going and then watching him drop out of their game plan when they were ahead, just really, I, I think it's concerning, but it's more, I think it's isolated to that game because. It's been said by a lot of people, and I tend to agree, that the 49ers offense, that a Kyle Shanahan offense is designed to play with the lead. And so they they didn't play to their design because what they should have done was they should have run it up on the Chiefs and then made it to where Mahomes can't make that comeback. But they never really, they, they kind of let their foot off the gas, and then they relied on Purdy a bit much. Now, Purdy didn't make any, he, he played game manager, at, at a minimum, with one touchdown and 207 yards and his general ability to not turn the ball over. But, I mean, I just have trouble believing that they just stop handing the ball to their running back in the second half. So that's another thing, which is kind of the reverse of what the Texans do. The Texans tend to like lean on the run game maybe a bit too heavy and then don't let C.J. Cook until late. But... So, I mean, trying to draw a correlation between this game and, and any reason to be concerned about what the Texans are doing, I'm just not seeing it personally. I think that, like I told at the end of the day, like when I told you my prediction for the Super Bowl, I told you the reasoning behind it was that the team with the better quarterback, typically, I think the record's like four and, and three. It's like very barely in favor of when there's a clear favorite quarterback over the past like 10 years, the clear better quarterback usually wins that matchup. And so that I knew Mahomes was likely going to do it. They were letting him hang around. I was like, 
you know, defenses wear down over the course of a game. Mahomes is just hanging in there and they, they let him be too close too long. And then their, you know, their field goal kicker can't hit an extra point or can't kick worth, worth anything. But that's a whole nother point. And we, we know that very well watching Kymie Fairbairn go down for all those weeks. That, that hurt the Texans a lot. But overall, I mean, I kind of agree with you. The first half was boring. I thought the halftime show was really good. I thought the commercials were pretty good. But overall, not like not like a jump off the page Super Bowl in the way that the box score would tell you that it is. It was just I don't know. It was it was what was expected. If it it makes you think it might have been scripted, but I don't know. Did so? Did you hear there was a point on that last drive by the Chiefs where they had a first down? And then Mahomes scrambles for two yards. The the ticker says second down. And then they pan away. It pulls the second down off. And then when they go to line up, it says first and 10 on a second and eight. Did so you hear about that? I've seen the video. I've seen the video like multiple times. It's all over everything. All over Twitter. All over Instagram. Everybody's talking about it. I don't know that it would have mattered. I don't know that that they still don't get there. But I'm not surprised. Um, the one thing I wanted to point out, I wanted, I wanted to uh, make mention, you, if you're trying to draw correlations from this game, for me, the, the correlations that I made is that when, when, when this offense gets going, the Texans offense, when it's, when it's, when it's humming, it's going to look like a Kansas City-style offense. And I think that defense for the Texans, when it's right, it's going to look like the Niners. So I think what we can hope to take from this game is that the evolution of the Texans will look like both of those teams as one and should be really, really exciting if you're a Texan fan. Um, as far as Brock Purdy being a game manager, I don't think that's fair. I really think that he made throws all game long to extend drives. I think he did everything he was asked to do. Credit to the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, I mean, they were able to stop them in, in crucial moments. But I think if you if you really want my honest opinion on why the Niners weren't the Niners, it was Kyle Shanahan. It's because exactly what you said. He got away from what got him there. He got away from what worked. They should have been toting the rock when they wanted to run the football they could. It didn't matter if it was Elijah Mitchell or CMC. They were running for five and six yards a pop. Uh, you know, I think CMC averaged like four. I think he I think he was twenty two carries for eighty yards or something he like that. He felt unstoppable. But yes. There were moments where it was just like chunk after chunk after chunk. And and I really think that had Shanahan stayed to the game plan and just went with what worked, they probably do put them away. They probably do tack on. The the extra point, unfortunate. For me, the real thing that really like turned this game around and, and, and really put it back in Kansas City's favor was the muff punt. And those are so hard to like it was such a freak play. You know, the, 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 it wasn't the returner's fault. You know, he's trying to yell poison, poison, poison. He's pointing. It clips this dude's ankle and then just takes the worst bounce ever. And now you've got Kansas City with the football on the 20-yard line when they hadn't been able to move the football hardly at all all game. And it really turned the game around. And I saw that and I go, here we go. <laughs> I just knew what was going to happen. And that for me, I hate that I, I saw it. I hate that I... Felt like I had the script in my hand, and I'm just here for it now. As Texans fans, we've seen that. I mean, that was Jacoby Jones all over again. Just like, you know, oh, routine play, we're still in this. Wait, no, we're not. All right. Well, this is is no fun. What what do you make? So 
I have a, a coworker who's a 49ers fan, and he's he said he didn't know if this is really that big of a deal, but there was a report today that the Chiefs so so the new overtime rules for the Super Bowl state that each team and unless there's a, a defensive touchdown on that first drive, each team will get the chance to offensively possess the ball and attempt to score, regardless of result, a touchdown or anything. And so I I saw that on on the the graphic on the screen for overtime, and I said, "Oh, easy! If you if the Niners win, they need to you know decline. They need to defer. That is easily the call." And the Niners decided not to. And I thought to myself, maybe they just don't know, or maybe Shanahan's like overthinking this. Like I don't know. And it came out today that, or not today, but in in, in a report that the Chiefs, who the rule was made for, they lost based off of like the Bills winning a toss and they were like, that's not fair. When change the rule for us, NFL. <laughs> and so the NFL, it, you know, loving Taylor Swift, or I guess at the time, just the chiefs since Taylor wasn't there, uh, decided to oblige and change the rule. And so the chiefs have been practicing that they were going to go for two, even if the Niners scored a touchdown, but the Niners drive down and score a field goal. And then the chiefs go down, score a touchdown and end the game. Several Niners players are quoted as saying they did not know that the overtime rules had changed. So they were unaware, like strategically what the right move was essentially. Now from my coworkers perspective, he says the only people that really needed to know the rule change were Kyle Shanahan and, and the captain calling the toss, which I believe was Fred Warner. Um, I, I don't remember in the report if those two players or two people were called out as not knowing, but what do you make of that? Well, I heard that. And initially I felt the way everybody else says this is a bad look. This is such a bad look. However, I took a second, I stepped back and I go, okay, let me break down or let me break down the scenario and see like if it made any sense. You had the Chiefs just ran all the way down the field and and that the Niners defense had to have been gassed. So from from that perspective, I think it kind of makes sense that that Shanahan's going, look, if I go out there and I score, that gives my defense a chance. Right now they're they're toast. You know they've been they've been run ragged, and and I can't put them back on the football field, or they're just going to go down and they're going to score. And I can understand that. I can I can get behind that. Um, the thing about the players not knowing the rule change, like you said, I think that's hundred percent how that should be. Shouldn't necessarily matter. I mean, Fred Warner's calling it, and then you go out there and you play. You know what I mean? Less is more. So, uh, but. If, if in fact, they didn't play it that way and they didn't know, if it comes out that Kyle Shanahan wasn't aware, that's a horrible look. It's a horrible look. Yeah, and it's like, I don't know. I put it in the same vein as, um, so Jed York, we talked about it, I think, before, but there was a news that broke that the owner of the 49ers said that Kyle Shanahan during the 2022 preseason like came to him and said, hey, the third-string quarterback on our roster is the best quarterback on the team, and I'm sure of it. And that was Brock Purdy at the time. And he said, I'm not going to change anything. I'm not going to just throw him in because I think that. But like, I need you to know that that guy we drafted with the last pick in the draft is the best quarterback we have over the guy we paid big money in free agency and the guy that we traded you know, two first-round picks to move up to go get. So, I mean, I'd put it in that same category where it's like you look at that and you go, wow, they knew that early and they kind of waited. You know, I don't know if that's as bad as it is 
does look the 49ers general ability to find a quarterback has been no sheer luck in every way to somehow manage to have a serviceable starting quarterback. I, at one point last season, I think I tweeted out that the 49ers have the football equivalent of the cure for cancer because it seemed like no matter who they put in at quarterback, it just didn't really matter. So, I mean, that offense is humming either way, but back to the original point. I mean, I, I, I do think the only the person that really mattered, if it comes out that Kyle Shanahan, I agree with you, if it comes out that Kyle Shanahan did not know what was going on or did not consider that, um, I, I think it's a fireable offense. I think as a head coach to, to that badly mismanage, and, and, and it it seems like an exaggeration, right? But And, and you, you and me have had our differences on hypotheticals and, and what happens in if and thens and buts throughout the season. But in, in my personal opinion, that if you win the toss and you don't make the right call because you don't have all the information and you lose, it, it is an if. There's no guaranteeing that the 49ers kick the ball off and you know Mahomes doesn't march down and score a touchdown. The difference, though, is, is that if they kick the ball off and Mahomes marches and scores, when the 49ers reach the 10-yard line, if they do that, which they did on their first drive, and their offense had been carving up the Chiefs all day, there's no reason to believe that wouldn't have happened either way. And, and they get to fourth and goal, instead of kicking a field goal, they're now in, in a position of control where they can they can control their destiny and, and go for the touchdown and go for two and end it there instead of giving the ball back to the Chiefs, which was probably what they were trying to avoid. So I, I don't know. Maybe they overthought it, but I I I don't think – if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I'm not going up to the owner and going, by, by the way, my bad, I didn't know. Like it's literally your job to know. It, it brings up a point – so. I'll, Across social media, not really across social media, but Kurt Benkert, I don't know if you've heard of him, uh, former Packer quarterback, uh, big sleeper, YouTuber, quarterback guy. He's big into Madden, and he uses it to like teach people how he perceives defenses as a, a professional quarterback. And, um, and he's a firm believer that each professional coaching staff should have a designated like Madden game manager, like situational, like literally plays Madden to the point where they understand and it didn't even have to be a Madden guy, right? Like just someone and, and who's, who knows, right? We don't know enough there. Each team could have this guy on staff and we just don't know it, but this guy's played for a professional football team and believes this is a need. So you have a guy on the field who situationally just like knows, Hey, we need to call timeout here. Hey, if we win the toss, we have to kick it off. The rules have changed and you need to do that. His whole job is just to know the rules inside and out. And situationally, Kyle Shanahan looks at him and goes, I- I'm going to do this. Is that right? Okay, cool. Like, it seems dumb because as a he- an NFL head coach, you should just know. But, I mean, with as much go- as goes on, that's why it made sense to me that D'Amico hired a defensive coordinator and still calls defensive plays. I mean, just having that extra set of eyes to help you out on coordinating that makes sense to me. But I don't know. What, what do you think of that suggestion or idea? I think if NFL teams are going to hire somebody to play Madden so that they have whatever they need, I need to know where I need to put my resume in. <laughs> I need to quit my job. I need to change. Because if you're telling me I get to play Madden, sit on the sideline with the, with the, with the earpiece in, with all the garb on, I'm, I'm dropping everything to do that. Like, how cool would that job be, right? All seriousness. I mean, it, you have all these guys, right? like that are advanced scouts and things of that nature. If you're telling me that, that you need a Madden guy and you don't have 
those kind of people in the building that are breaking down tons of film and doing it in the same vein. I don't know. I think that's a little, it's a little rich, but again, I'm all for it as a gamer, as a, as a Madden player, I am all for it. I think that'd be great. I think you'd be surprised uh, how many people are great offenses and offensive and defensive minds from Madden. Like they're literally breaking down defenses at that level in the video game. You know, you watch the Madden tournament, you watch people play and it's not like uncommon, you know, so, Hey, that's cover two. Uh, you know, this is, this is what I'm looking for. Okay. I got the, the linebacker here, you know, all of these things. So, but I'm sure NFL personnel would be like, whatever, you're a gamer, go away. No. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, when I looking back to when we talked to Matt Schaub, um, and he's an analyst, what I would imagine is is that if, if I'm like running a football team, understanding as much as Matt told us about what an analyst is on a football team, that guy's already breaking down film and has an intimate understanding of situational football. Maybe that guy's job on Sunday, on top of observing what's going on in the game, is literally just to be in the ear of the coach, like a direct line to be like, "Hey, man." Like you really need to call this time out right now. I don't know what you're doing, or I I don't know. I feel like most teams though they make enough money that they could probably hire like a dedicated person to. There are teams that have like uh, the Rams. They have that guy that's like the hold me back guy for Sean McVay, who like literally his <laughs> job is to make sure that McVay is not too far onto the field. I feel like most teams probably have that, but I mean, having coached at the junior pee wee level and watched other coaches walk all the way up to the middle of the field to talk to their kids, I'm like, dude. What are we doing here? That's totally, I don't know. I As the head coach at that level, I had to play the, hey, guys, hey, assistants, we, we need to be on the sideline. But anyway, I, I don't know. With as much money as goes into the NFL, I have trouble believing that they would. It may sound like a dumb idea, but, I mean, I'd rather have the guy on staff and have an understanding that like that guy was there. That way I can be like, well, our our analyst at this level said this, and, you know, th- and I felt like it was a good idea, and I went with it. Coach still ultimately takes responsibility, but – like having that extra layer to me just makes sense. I don't know. I listened to the sports talk radio this morning and, and the guys on seven ninety, you know, uh, Brian Lima, Sean Salisbury, they were pretty adamant that, you know, you're giving an extra down to Patrick Mahomes by doing that. You're giving him that same fourth down you were talking about. And in that, I understand it. If you feel like you can't stop him, then, you know, what do you do? I don't know. I, I get the sense that the Niners took the football thinking, I need to put something on the board and give my defense a chance as opposed to put him put them back out there and just know I'm playing for a touchdown or know I'm playing for a field goal. You know what I mean? I yeah. see both sides. It's just really bad if they didn't know. Yeah, that's the, that's the point is that they may have in their mind made the right decision. And it could be just a moot point. Like, could just be like Shanahan's like, I knew the rule. I just wanted to do it this way. And, and that's fine. But the problem becomes if he didn't know the rule, then there's the reason to believe that the other decision may have been the better decision as, as, a, as a Monday morning, you know, quarterback over here. That, that was my take. But obviously that's why I'm a Monday morning quarterback instead of a <laughs> Sunday night quarterback. So, well, with that in mind, the Texans off season is here. We're, we're rolling in. We're doing it. We've already been doing mock draft Mondays, free agent Fridays, and in observation of the national holiday that is the Super Bowl, this will be our only throughout this week on Valentine's Day with love 
to the Texans fan base. Um, <laughs> but Tom, do you have anything else to say on this before we put the Super Bowl behind us and look forward to the Texans trip to Super Bowl 59 in New Orleans? I am looking forward to the potential of all the primetime games that the Texans could potentially have uh, to include a week one showdown with the Super Bowl champions, which would be great cinema, in my opinion. It would be amazing. I would be all for it. It would be in in Kansas City, right? I think so. Ooh, that would be – I like those week one – that's what happened this week or this uh, season with Lamar – Jackson out there in Baltimore for the first week. I, just think I would try to way. find a way to that game. If, if, if that happens, if that comes to fruition, I would try to find a way to that game. Speaking of, I, I guess last thing I have to say, I if anyone would like to sponsor my trip to Canton, Ohio, to watch Andre Johnson get inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, my Venmo is – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not asking you all to sponsor me, I, I, but I do want to go. <laughs> I do want to go. I'm already looking into flights. I'm like trying to get out there. Um, congrats to Andre Johnson. We didn't really cover that much, but Andre Johnson, Hall of Famer, 100% deserves it. Um, I mean, I, I can't think of anyone better to be the first Hall of Famer for the Houston Texans organization, so I'm, I'm hyped about that. He is one of the faces of the franchise. I, I think that it, you are 100% correct. The first Texan to be inducted. Um, it just feels right. It just feels right. Yeah, and I don't mean to be nitpicky, but I'm seeing a lot of people be like, JJ's next. I- I'm going to let Andre have his moment before I talk about JJ being next in the Hall of Fame. So all-, all to you, Andre. Thanks for all you did for my childhood and for the Texans organization. So I don't believe really JJ's done. It. That's, that's, that's my hot take. I you don't, don't believe JJ's done. He said don't. he's a thousand percent done on the Pat McAfee show. <sighs> and, then, and, and you know what? He retired the year prior. And said, I'm going to go be an analyst and sat there and worked out like a dude who was going to play football on Sunday. So I don't know. Are you complaining about hotel gym hours on Twitter? I thought that was, yeah, exactly. See, he would not have that problem if he was on an NFL roster. That's all I'm saying. He would have a gym everywhere. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been the bullpen and I've been James Roy. You can find me at M1 Texans fan on all social media. Um, Tom is at third coast Tom and he has been Tom. That's who he's been. And that that's who he is on social media is third coast Tom from the third coast. Represent. Um, <laughs> but if you want to find me on Instagram, because James has been adamant all year long. Is it happening? TC Tom one TC Tom one. He's doing it. <laughs> Go ahead and give him a follow. Additionally, we do have the Discord. It's a little dead right now because, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't personally fully know how to run a Discord. So if you want to talk Texans and maybe also want to be a part of getting that off the ground, um, link is in my bio on all social media to to get in on that. Um, I'm trying to be really good about posting exclusive stuff about the show to keep you all up to date to make it worth getting on there. Um, But yeah, and yeah, until next time, as always, Stay classy, Houston, and vamos, Texans. Thanks for tuning in to The Bullpen, a Texans podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Please like, comment, subscribe, and follow along for more Texans talk from The Bullpen. Take the hand up. Stroud, looking, Stroud.